0: For me, it's such a natural fit. And like your reaction is most people's reaction. So most people, when they first hear that, it's just, it's a big, like, what, like, what are you talking about? Like, cause it's not what you would normally put together. For me, it's a natural fit because I think so much in life is about overcoming fear. So these stories are very much about facing our fears. So horror stories in particular, I'm not big on gore either. So I'm not, you know, I've, I've certainly seen many gory movies, but I prefer more like the slow burn kind of psychological horror. But horror movies in particular, kind of whatever subgenre of horror they land in, they're very metaphorical. So there's usually different layers of symbolism.
1: Rain podcast. Welcome to another episode of Unleash Your Supernova. This is your companion podcast to the Unleash Your Supernova book, a guide to mindfulness and manifestation in creative entrepreneurship and life. I am your host, Nova Lorraine, award-winning fashion designer, author, founder, as well as award-nominated producer and host. Just like an exploding star, we all have the ability to shine millions of times more than a sun to expand into the greatest, brightest version of ourselves, reaching our fullest potential. Join myself and my inspiring guests as we guide you on a journey of growth, creativity, and manifestation in both business as well as life. My guests are creative entrepreneurs from around the world doing what they love while shining a light to others. So if you have not yet already, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. Today, I'm excited to have with us Sarah McDermott-Jane.
0: Hi, Sarah. Hi, Nova. I'm so happy to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to have you, and I'm just going to share a little bit about your background to our listeners before we dive in to our topic of today, From Fear to Empowerment. So just a little bit about Sarah. Sarah McDermott-Jane is an award-winning produced screenwriter and international bestselling author. Her passion is moving readers through fear and into empowerment via the thriller and horror genres. She is also the creator of the Book to Script course, which shows authors how to adapt their books into screenplays. And she teaches both screenwriting and novel writing at the college level. So Sarah, you also have a new book. I do. That I was so grateful to receive. Do you wanna share the title of that book with our
0: listeners? Absolutely, so that is Wolves at Nights. So yes, cover title. Yes.
1: And the cover is stunning, guys. Thank so you. We will dive into that and the inspiration behind the cover as we get further into the show. But as you know, we're going to start off with what is your why? And this is how I begin all of my episodes. Well, most of my episodes as of late. And for those that are joining us for the first time, Knowing your why is so important because it becomes your North Star to everything. So why do you live where you live? Why are you doing the career that you've chosen? Why are you choosing a path of entrepreneurship? Why this particular book? So all these answers are usually driven by the why. And so it's so important to reevaluate that in every aspect of your life often. And it's how I open up the book, Unleash Your Supernova, with exploring how you can do that, how you can find your why and make sure the reason is actually beneficial to your goals and not actually holding you back. So Sarah, tell us, why do you do what you do? We've seen here that you teach writing courses, you are an author yourself, you're a screenwriter. So tell us, why do you do what you do?
0: So, I mean, I think for me, it really, it all comes back to the power of story Mm -hmm. and like you mentioned already moving people from fear into empowerment i think that's really the backbone of so much of what i do so i have always been just obsessed with writing with creating stories sharing stories whether it's you know novel short story screenplay you know whatever the form and for me it's so much about how the story helps us process what's actually happening in our lives mm-hmm. So there's definitely a reason why, you know, there's sort of a certain structure to storytelling that has persisted for thousands of years because it really does tap into human psychology. So I noticed even at a very young age, like if I had something going on and I wrote about it, it let me figure it out and put it into perspective in a way that really nothing else could. Mm. You know, if I wasn't writing about it, I might just be suffering, feeling upset about something or grappling you know, with whatever life thing you know had come along. But if I wrote about it, it gave me a certain amount of power to sort of dissect it, observe it in a different way, understand it more deeply, and then be okay with it, because I was able to understand it. And if you're able to put something in a story that then shares a message, I think it does make you okay with it, even if it is maybe has come from something really difficult because it does let you then gain the deeper understanding and perspective to keep moving forward, keep going on to the next thing. So for me personally, in my own writing, I think this is a big piece of it. And then in terms of teaching, I think it really comes down to doing that for other people as well. So for a lot of people, maybe trying to do their first screenplay or first book, there is a lot of fear there. So there's fear around sharing the story, around like, what are people going to think of me if I put this out there, around once I put this down, what if it doesn't come out exactly the way that I hoped it would come out? So there's a lot of fear that can hold people back when they do have a story that they want to get out. So for me, I really love just being a part of the process of moving past that and then getting the story out in the way it needs to be told.
1: I love that, especially when you said that if you're going through something in your life you would write about it and when you would write about it it would empower you give you this power it'll allow you to see the situation in a way potentially you hadn't seen before or come up with solutions on how to deal with that situation and I never thought about it like that before but I think that's you know really powerful as we're talking about empowerment I think that's really powerful. And then, you, you know, you hear advice about journaling for different reasons, but not. I haven't heard it stated like this. And how old were you when you first started doing this, when you first started just writing down for a journal?
0: Oh, my goodness. I mean, I was writing since I was so young. So I like one memory that I love to share is just that when I was growing up, like every summer, my family, we would rent a beach house with like our relatives. And it was just like a tiny beach house, like three bedrooms but like 12 people (laughs) staying there. And, you know, this was back in the day. So there was no internet or anything like that. There was one television. Mm -hmm. And the adults to kind of get the kids out of their hair and relax would really just kind of put us on this screened in porch with notebooks and pens and just say, you know, write. So even before I knew how to write, like I would go out there with the bigger kids Uh and they would be writing and I couldn't actually make letters yet, but I would just have a sheet of paper and kind of scribble on it and tell them like (laughs) I'm writing a story too. So... We would always like write, and then we would read our stories to each other. So even though I just had a bunch of scribbles <laughs> when it was my turn, uh-huh. I would then just kind of make something up off the top of my head and be speaking it and saying, "Yeah, I wrote it down." Like that's what all my scribbles mean. <laughs> and then as I got older, I just kind of never grew out of it. So I kept doing it. So even after I, I think my cousins and all grew out of it, I just kind of kept going and and loved it. And I think when I got into high school, so the first time I I guess technically wrote a book, I was. 14. I was in my freshman year of high school. Okay. I think it was really about just seeing if I could finish it. So up to that point, you know, I had started, I think a lot of different little stories or I did chapter one, chapter two, and then I never continued. So I kind of challenged myself that year that I really just wanted to see myself finish something. And in terms of like personal growth and development, I think something that really shifted that year as well was up to that point, you know, I would make up these stories And when I was younger, I would really make up stories about like an ideal life, about everything being perfect, about being popular and perfect grades and perfect everything and kind of live vicariously through that. Mm. And I think that year was the first time I really started to write about things that were maybe upsetting that I had to deal with. And it was a big shift for me just because it was that empowerment piece that as I wrote about it, I started to see, well, now I can understand why this happened. So it is like a sad thing, maybe that happened, but now I I understand it or I have a different, appreciation of it. Or I see now that that's what causes someone to grow. So if I was working with a character in a story, Mm -hmm. I very quickly learned that the reason those other earlier stories were never finished is because the character couldn't grow. Like I started them off perfect and popular and beautiful and (laughs) everything. So there's no place to go. So in finally allowing myself to kind of write about things that were more difficult, It was like okay but now my characters can grow they grow through it and that was such a big life lesson as well for me just it's not really any different than the characters in a book when you are faced with these things that is how you grow Mm -hmm. that's the opportunity for growth Mm -hmm. rather than feeling cursed or (laughs) just wishing it wasn't there's a lot to be gained when you're going through those difficult things as well
1: right right that's so interesting because i was going to ask you actually well, how do you finish a book? But in this instance, for these fictional stories that you were you were putting together, if your if your characters are at the peak of their perfection, <laughs> yes. 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 then where do you go from there? So there's this uh, TV show. I don't know if you've um, come across it, but the family starts off super super rich and they lose everything, and then they have to kind of make life with from nothing basically and it's the most interesting journey to watch and yeah you could say that they started at they didn't really spend a lot of time in the show with their life as a wealthy family but I guess from that standpoint with your stories unless they lose everything unless they go from perfection to, to desolation like where do you go and then build them back up so but yeah that's really interesting I like that and I think that's a good tip for any aspiring writers that are listening right now. So, and also I thought was really intriguing was that this small activity that the adults probably had no idea would impact your future career path made such an impression on you as a young child. And, you know, as you were still doing your scribble scrabble on paper, (laughs) it really brought out that storyteller in you. It really encouraged that storytelling and it's some, you know we play these games my husband and I with our children where we would say a sentence and each person would have to add on to it to tell this cohesive story or we would you know co-create a story together on the spot or you have 90 seconds to come up with a like a cool plot and a lot of it is just fun we're all storytellers and so we have a lot of fun with it but it does push your imagination and I think it when you're able to do it, because it's a little scary, right? You might say something that makes absolutely no sense, or you might literally have a block and go, "Oh, I can't think of anything," right? And then you, but you may come out, come out with something that's fantastic, and that's I think is super powerful as well. So I, 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 those are two things that jumped out at me as part of your story. And then if you realize characters are just like for real life, right? We are here to grow. We're here on this earth to grow, and when we feel stagnant it leads to all sorts of negative behaviors and so if we can look at life as inspiration as writers and creating characters from people that we may know or have seen on tv or have read about or what have you like pull in these really rich arcs that we can add to our characters i think it'll also help like move a story along if you're a writer and you're having creative writer's block or whatever. But I thought those were really helpful tips. So as we said before we started recording, and I'm going to move into the topic of the show where it's moving from fear to empowerment. And in your bio, it says you do this through thriller and horror genres. (laughs) And I was joking like, okay, that was not the first thing that that would come to mind when I'm thinking about empowering someone to get over their fears. And for me, as a kid, I, I used to like horror movies or scary movies. Nothing gory, but just like pure scary movies. And as a teen, there were two that like did it in for me where I was like, I will not watch a scary movie ever again. And so since, I just avoid them like the plague. Like you cannot get me to sit down and watch I have to know which two. Which two did you in? Oh my gosh. Okay, so... Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes,
0: me too. Me too. All right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was way too close to real life. Yes. I would say it's probably a tie between, oh, The Shining.
0: Oh, okay. That's one of my favorites.
1: <laughs> and what is the one where the boy falls into the river? That's not Michael Myers. No. Oh, I don't. Oh. At the camp. G- Friday. 13th. Yeah. In the lake. Friday the 13th. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The legacy Friday the 13th movie.
0: Nightmare on Elm Street, like done. Oh my goodness. I'm done. Nightmare on Elm Street, I, I'll admit that one messed me up too. It was just the premise of it. It was just so- cool Yes. could fall asleep.
1: <laughs> like, wait, I'm not even safe in my, like what? Yes. Yeah. Oh man. So yeah. And so those two were it for me. So I can't do uh, horror, but I do like a good thriller. I do like a good thriller. But again, I just thought it was, when you said empowerment, I'm not usually going to think of- those two genres. So I am, I'm here and I'm anxious <laughs> to hear how do you brought these two together? How do you successfully do this? And then I'm going to give you the mic.
0: Go ahead. Oh my goodness. So it's, for me, it's such a natural fit. And like your reaction is most people's reaction. So most people, when they first hear that, it's just, it's a big, like, what, like, what are you talking about? Like, cause it's not what you would normally put together. For me, it's a natural fit because I think so much in life is about overcoming fear. So these stories are very much about facing our fears. So horror stories in particular, Mm. I'm not big on gore either. So I'm not, you know, I've I've certainly seen many gory movies, but I prefer more like the slow burn kind of psychological horror. But horror movies in particular, kind of whatever subgenre of horror they land in, they're very metaphorical. So there's usually different layers of symbolism especially like the really well well done ones, but even the ones that are lower budget or maybe not a little more like exploitative or whatever it may be, they usually still have some sort of symbolism that they're dealing with in terms of what the character's actually facing. So it's put into the form of, you know, some kind of monster or entity, whatever the case may be.
1: Well, give me some examples. Give me some like real like movies and give me the example of the metaphor. Sure. Yes.
0: Yeah. So one that I think was really good, this was a couple years ago, was The Babadook. I don't know if you saw that one or heard about that one. Okay. So in like horror circles, did really, really well. So in The Babadook, there is this very frightening monster. So it sort of starts with this mother and son find a book and super creepy book with this creepy monster in it and essentially the Babadook is like something that's gonna could come and take away this child if I'm remembering it correctly but the metaphor in the movie is grief so the Babadook is really supposed to be the mother's grief so her father her father her husband has passed away and he's left her now she has this son and the son is, is very difficult so there's some like behavioral issues like there's this terrible thing where they go to I think another kid's birthday party and he's acting up and it's embarrassing and you can tell like the other mothers are judging her and she's still trying to process her grief. So when like this book first appears and when like the Babadook starts to, you know, get closer and closer until, you know, sort of in the climax it breaches her bedroom, you know, she's in there with her son. Mm -hmm. It's really just this grief process that's building and building that she can't deal with and the metaphor is that she could lose her son because she's becoming like a terrible mother because she can't she needs to be able to process the grief to be a mother for her son but what's okay. happening is the grief is overtaking her and it's going to cause her to hurt the son so that's really the metaphor in that movie and and sort of by the end without wanting to like give too much away or I don't know if it's okay to give it away give some spoilers I don't know people can pause you know if they don't want to hear the spoiler but sort of by the end she's subdued the babadook so it's not gone she's sort of keeping it in her basement and she is like feeding it from time to time oh wow <laughs> like well, she'll go down and she'll kind of just sit with it but it's like the metaphor is that time to time she takes a break and she goes to be by herself and she just sits with that grief a little bit you know like she just feeds it a little bit, like that she allows herself to feel it instead of just trying to repress it. And then that's it. Then it's okay for a while. She goes back upstairs and she can live her, her normal life, but like it had to be subdued first. So yeah, I think that movie is an especially good example of just of having like this metaphor that sort of carries throughout. But again, it's something that people face. So in a lot of these horror films, it really does come down to it's something that you need to face. So there's, there's a seminar that I sometimes give That's all about abolishing limiting beliefs based on the horror movie formula. So that's what it's called, like Mm -hmm. that horror movie formula to abolish your limiting beliefs. So it essentially follows like the three acts of a horror movie, like what would going on in a horror movie. And, you know, in act two, it's really seeing the monster. It's seeing the monster for what it is so that you can start to have some kind of plan. And I liken that to like the limiting beliefs that we have, the things that block us and stop us from getting the things that we want, because we have some kind of fear that's holding us back from going for those things. So sort of in the seminar, this process of seeing the monster is uncovering what is it exactly? So what is the fear? What is the thing that's stopping you? And for some people, it might be something that happened, you know, when they were young, Mm -hmm. something somebody said, you know, or maybe they did try at some point and they, they failed. Or it's just some sort of belief that they have about themselves that's not necessarily true. So, you know, it's all like metaphorical monsters, but these are the monsters that we actually deal with and have to overcome and move so that we can move forward.
1: I have never thought of a horror movie in that way. And I don't know if I'm yet convinced that I need to watch them to get yeah. that, you know, get the points you're making. But I think that's fascinating and such a unique perspective. So I'm going to ask you about A Classic Nightmare on Elm Street. What is the metaphor there?
0: Oh my goodness. So with Nightmare on Elm Street, I think that movie deals a lot with the parents really trying to control everything that happens with the children. Um, oh. so it's the fact that Freddy Krueger exists at all. Like the backstory of that is that the parents killed him because I think he was he was abusing children like he or killing children even when he was alive, something like that for the backstory. So the parents actually all got together and killed him. And he comes back to get revenge on their children in the one place where they can't help them, which is when they're asleep, because they can't go into their dreams with them. Oh, so I think yeah. that movie as a whole, it's very much about, you know, parents trying to control the kids or trying to overprotect them, but to such a point where the kids really finally they have to be able to do it themselves because they're totally alone when it comes down to being in that dream world right. and that—that that is and I definitely agree with you because that's a particularly freaky movie
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it only takes one movie to like throw you off the edge that's definitely one of those th- <laughs> <laughs> Up the no more horror movie edge.
0: <laughs> um, there's an interesting story I have about The Exorcist. So it's, um, you know, oh it, it, yeah, it, it was. Re- it's really my father's story because it's a friend of my father. But when they were in college, I believe he had a friend who was like a big football player, like tough guy, like not a guy that you would mess with. And when he saw that movie, it wrecked him. Like he wound up having oh, wow. to go into therapy because he just couldn't process that movie. And wow. through the words of therapy, what they discovered was that the idea of something that you couldn't physically hit, like something that you couldn't fight physically in that movie is what was upsetting him so badly because his whole life was about like building up his muscles and being physical. Mm. And, and that's how he, I guess, handled, you know, being afraid of things. Well, like I could beat this okay. person. On, or I could do, you know, I'm the toughest guy in the room. Right. But then he saw that movie and it was like those things wouldn't work for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right, right. Really, on a psychological level, like rocked him to his core that he had to go wow you know, therapy and had to kind of work through that and start to, to think about things differently in order to cope with that that realization.
1: That's so interesting. I mean, I could see that movie doing that to anyone.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's one of those movies where you know
1: you don't necess- you don't need to see that one. Yeah, you know, skip <laughs> over that one. But yeah, it's to think about someone that's trained, like you said, to protect themselves with physical force. Yes. And then all of a sudden, that whole paradigm is destroyed (laughs) through this concept that's shown in that movie. And you're still developing, right? Wow, that's really interesting. And like I said, I've never took the time to think of horror movies beyond, it's something that's going to scare you. But in this case, it can really help you like unpack these deeper fears, right? Like we're talking about. Yeah. And face them and and have conversations around them. And yeah, I don't know. Is there a balance, would you say, if you're not a... I mean, thrillers, I think, are great. And I know that thrillers are another way that you help people with this. But would you say there's a balance if you're not a horror movie person?
0: Absolutely. Because there's, I mean, out of every genre that exists, horror movies... Definitely have the most subgenres. So, there's so many subgenres of, of horror. So, there's even if you're not really a horror person, there's probably certain horror movies that you would like or things that you probably already like that you might not even necessarily think of them classified as horror because they might not be the super gory. You know, again, like some of them might be the more psychological. You know, usually in horror, there is some kind of supernatural element, but like it can depend, you know, just how in your face. <laughs> that gets. But yeah, I mean, one thing that is interesting just to kind of note or reflect on for yourself, like, or anyone listening is sort of which type of horror movie actually bothers you the most, Mm. because there are so many subgenres, And if you kind of are in touch with, well, which one bothers me the most? Like, so, okay, this over here is considered horror, but that doesn't scare me. Or that's just, that's silly or that's whatever. But then there might be a movie that you saw that it really bothered you for some reason, or you heard the concept, it really bothered you for some reason. And um, if you start kind of asking yourself questions about that, usually you do uncover something like about your thought process or your limiting beliefs or or something that scares you in real life. Yeah, because everybody's different. So, you know, like everyone might answer that question differently about exactly what kind of movie bothers you the most like is it like body horror stuff really bothers you or is it supernatural you know religious horror kind of with demons that really bothers you or is it aliens or is it whatever it is but whatever it is probably has depending on what that topic is some kind of underlying Mm -hmm. root Mm -hmm. fear that the reason it bothers you like so particularly.
1: (laughs) That's a good point so you could even just look at the types of movies and then and use that as a way to to sort of pinpoint your fear right you force yourself to watch a bunch of movies yeah
0: you can just, you can just think just broadly, yeah, with genre. yeah,
1: because you know I there are a lot of people who are afraid of clowns and so it is a movie that you know a lot of people are like, oh yes, I'm not I know I don't even understand I guess I could take the time to understand it, but clowns don't scare me, but for some it's like terrifying. and what would be your thought behind the fear component? with
0: clowns? Oh my goodness, for, for clowns particularly? <laughs> yeah. So there is like a whole theory around just like why it's so unsettling when something looks like a person but it's not quite a person oh. and it's it's interesting. The theory in and of itself is creepy because it, the way they tell it is that like going by evolution there must have been something that happened where maybe something kind of looked like a person but wasn't a person and so we learned to be afraid oh. of it being a little bit off which is kind of creepy but even if you just disregard that (laughs) i think when it comes to clowns that's probably what comes into kind of triggers that yeah and even if you just think about a lot of horror movie monsters and in general like some of the ones that really are the creepiest like it looks like a person but then it kind of doesn't look like a person like something is off and i know with mm-hmm. the story of it it's not a person like he's i think he's an alien actually that like has come to earth to like feed on <laughs> on people and and if he if they're afraid like they taste better there's like a whole thing if i they to really get into this oh wow but it's not human <laughs> so like the clown in it is is actually not human he's putting on a disguise and he picks a clown because he thinks that'll attract mm. children but there is something off on multiple levels because, you know, like a clown doesn't the makeup and everything else. They don't look just like a person. But then it's it's also not a person in that story specifically. That's interesting. is unsettling. Yeah.
1: Yeah. OK, so we talked a lot about fear and horror and and that genre and how we can look at the metaphors around that. How do we move to empowerment? How do we go from the space and place of fear to empowerment?
0: Yes, I believe it comes down to making a plan. So when I do the the seminar and it kind of goes through these this three-act structure of horror films and pretty much every horror film, it's going to more or less sort of follow. And I've really simplified it because screenplay structure is more complicated than this. Mm-hmm. But for horror film, usually in act one, they're gathering clues, they're figuring out what scares them. So for people in real life, you know, gather clues. So like, where where do you feel held back? Like, where do you have fear crop up? You know, what's going on? So those are the clues that are going to lead you to what is the actual fear. So act two is, you know, seeing the monster. Let's actually see it for what it is mm-hmm. and figure out what we're dealing with. And then act three typically is making a plan. Okay. So sometimes movie that plan fails, hopefully mm-hmm. in our life, <laughs> the plan succeeds. Mm-hmm. But you gotta know what the monster you're dealing with is first. So you can plan. So once you're really aware of what it is that scares you or what it is that's holding you back, you know, from what you want out of life, then knowing specifically what it is can help you make a plan for, okay, now how do I face it? So it might be something straightforward. So, you know, like in in my world, working with a lot of people, writing stories, like what has scared them or held them back about that. Once we figure it out, okay, let's figure out how to face that or work around it and start taking the steps. So you are getting that story done. So, you know, you're facing the fear. It doesn't have to be like a super scary, traumatic thing. It can be like small steps just towards kind of working your way out of it. But I think just the simply the having a plan and the taking action steps, even if they're very, very small, I think those are two big things that lead to empowerment and getting you out of that, that darker space.
1: Got it. So identifying the fear and then making a plan. Yes. Right. Making a plan around how to face it. And then that can involve many things. Are there two or three things you want to share that it usually is a part of the plan planning process that you offer?
0: Oh my goodness. So, I mean, it can be very different for everybody. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. So like I said, I think it's a lot about first identifying like smaller steps. So with me, something that I did years ago, and I usually recommend it for other people, and I give my, there's a journal that I give my um, students sometimes called the 30-day vision. And it's mm, in nice. the 30-day vision. I just want them every day. They take like one action towards the life or the thing that they want. Mm. <laughs> something very tiny. So like I first started to do this a couple of years ago before I created the journal, and it was every day, you know, I just want to do something for my writing career every day. And it, it didn't really matter like how small the something was. It was like, just get this, this small part done. Just keep doing this. And very quickly there just builds a momentum mm. where it's now a part of your life and you're sort of often running. And it, it doesn't even really take long for it to really take effect. It's, you know, if you do, so I kind of go with 30 days, by all means, like all year do something where every morning you're like, I'm going to do this today, however small it is. If it takes you five minutes, Whatever it is, but like even within 30 days, it was like you'll see some some big stuff happening. I mean, I think the first time I ever did this, it was within 30 days. And I actually did my first seminar on the the horror movie formula for limiting beliefs by the end of that 30 days. And it was really just a lot of small steps. Like I think one day it was simply just, oh, let me just shoot an email to this organization and see if they think this would be something cool for me to offer their people. And I did, and then heard back like within a day and you know they thought it was interesting so we set up a time to actually do it so it's it was like a five minute action step but it led to it actually happening so so yeah so getting sitting with that plan reflecting on what you want but then it doesn't have to be like a huge overwhelming thing just start to think like what's a small step each day
1: i love that the 30-day vision oh i love that takeaway <laughs> This is a great time to give you the microphone for the next segment of our show where you play host and ask me a question or two of whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And then we'll wrap it up with a question from our listeners.
0: Oh my goodness. All right. Well, first, let me start. I would just love to know more about your why. So you do so many creative, amazing things. What is it that really drives you?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say initially my driver was wanting the people who I would help to be happier, to just live like that simple, just to be, to live a happier life, to really, my journey started off in clinical psychology and it was using the techniques that I learned in my therapy sessions with my patients. And so that was just how I felt was the most straightforward way in helping people is through medicine. And to, if you're looking at emotions, psychology was, the logical step in terms of the area that I would study and work in and then I pivoted to fashion and I think the desire to help people never went away it was how and really balancing more of what would fill me and feed my soul with my desire to help people and so I've always been creative and was loved absolutely loved like dressing up and looking cute and being the one to stand out in the room and at events and I wanted to express myself through fashion design, but I also wanted my creations to make women feel more beautiful, more confident, more in touch with who they are. And so the tagline I had early on in my business was from, it was a, let me see, feel beautiful from the inside out. And then that tag got the inside out thing was (laughs) became so trendy after that i was like i'm gonna drop this but it was it was like looking at every detail of what i did and what i created and making sure that every layer would be impactful in that way and so i would say the desire to just help yeah i don't think my why has really changed i think what's changed is the different modalities that i use the platforms that i've created I'm a futurist, even though I have a deep respect and love of the past because I feel we can learn so much from our history and it's history's collection of stories. And, you know, as a storyteller, there's so much richness there in history, but I'm always looking at what's next and what's coming and how can I use what I've learned or what I know from the past to affect the future in a more positive way. And so the channels have changed, the tools have changed, but the desire has always been to help people be happier.
0: I love that so much. And I love just pointing out like so like just the use of the arts with fashion definitely being an art just the good that that can do for people because i think so many times people or people who maybe aren't in the arts they might not fully recognize the value of the writing or the fashion or the the this and the that but those things have such value for how people feel and how people yeah how people show up in their lives so i love that All right. So I guess I gotta ask uh, Nova, so what are some fears that you have had to (laughs) Of
1: course, of course you have to ask the fear question.
0: Either past or present, but yeah, we gotta ask the fear question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think on my journey, the fear of failure has been a lesson that I've learned. And even writing the book Unleash Your Supernova, I had to decide, do I wanna share the stories of failure? there's so much vulnerability there when you write a book and then to decide to share the not so great moments. And I'm a huge book reader. I'm a nerd. I love it. I'm proud of it. And I, you know, if I can, I'll read a book a week. And when I was starting my business, I literally went and got all the best-selling books on the shelf and read every single one of them. And I don't ever remember any author sharing their moments of failure their early days before the glory it was here's the wow. formula get to it <laughs> you know and i just thought that was so important as an entrepreneur on the journey you know being frustrated that i did the research i read the books i or i would watch videos whatever i talked to mentors and so few would share those moments and i thought it was so important to share the reality of what launching a business is like and running a business like the day-to-day because if my readers would understand that this is a roller coaster this is you're gonna have highs you're gonna have lows and that's okay not to jump ship the first low or the third low or the fourth low and to your point earlier about growth it's about growth like each little lull that you experience you know that if you're ever at the bottom it's not the end just know that that upward momentum of the roller coaster is coming right what roller coaster ends at the bottom i'm just saying (laughs) (laughs) it's a growth moment and so for me failure was embracing it as something that i can grow from and learn from and it's not really failure like failure doesn't exist it's What can I learn from this? How can I move past this? But before it was, oh my gosh, there's all the shame. Who'd I let down? Self-judgment, blah, blah, blah. It was all of this and getting past that and getting through that to the point where I can share those as, as stories within my book to let others know that it's okay. Like this is part of the process. And despite whatever obstacles, despite whatever quote unquote failures, if you stay to the task, then you're going to achieve whatever you set your mind to. And just looking at it in a different way. So for me, it was being able to look failure in the face and say, "Uh-uh, I'm not buying it. <laughs> this is a story I'm not buying. And then being okay with being vulnerable with sharing those moments. That is so
0: fantastic. I love that so much. I think you are so right on. So fear of failure is such a big one <laughs> for a lot of people. There's like a, a quiz, like an assessment I've been putting together about what scares people. And like one of the probably the most common result people get is the fear of failure. And just to kind of piggyback off what you were saying, it's, I just want people to know like a, a quote that I love is, you know, if you run into obstacles, roadblocks, things that maybe look like failure, they're really not failure in that moment. It's not a stop sign. It's not telling you to stop. It's a qualifier. Mm. It's qualifying you for the next level because what you're going to do, you mm. figure it out and get through it. Next time you try, you'll do something a little bit differently. So you're actually getting like, through those quote unquote failures that aren't even failures, you're actually being groomed to like become that person that mm. to be. Oh, I love that. As opposed to what I think so many people feel, which is like they messed up and, and like you said, like so much shame or that they needed to be perfect, which is impossible.
1: <laughs> right. Right. So yeah.
0: Embracing that is is so important.
1: And I love how you shared it's a grooming process of the person you're becoming. And then also, as you were just talking, what came to mind is you get so much information in that moment. It is such an opportunity to look at that information and say, what can I do with this? Right. So I have four children, as you know, and they're all competitive athletes or were at one point. And I would say, like, every time you fail is getting you closer to what you really want. You're just learning what's not working. That's it well, that didn't work. Okay, next. (laughs) And then you hear stories every so often, like the Michael Jordan story where he wasn't that great in high school and how many times he failed and then look at the outcome. Yes, And so I think that's such a great example because again, we don't really hear about the early days and, and how they got through those moments, those really challenging moments. So I, I appreciate that question. Thank you. So I'm going to take the mic back. Sure. And I have a personal question just off of what we just talked about before we jump into our last question from our listeners. But what fear did you have to overcome? What were you empowered? How did you move or what was uh, an experience that allowed you to move from fear to empowerment?
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, I think in terms of there's probably been so many <laughs> in mm-hmm. terms of the writing part of my career, and in terms of actually putting work out there, so like, in, you know, like this book that just got released, for example, I think a lot of times before starting a project, there's a lot of fear. And to a certain extent, this ties in with fear of failure, but there's a lot of fear of when it gets out of my head and it's out there in the real world, it, of it not being what you imagined. Because once you do it, you know, you can't have the fantasy of it anymore. Like you've actually done it <laughs> and it's mm. whatever it is. And I think sometimes people have ideas. And I think for a while I did this where I had ideas and like, I held on to them, you know, for a long time before actually doing them for that. Reason, mm. Cause it was like, I didn't want to lose that, I guess, imaginary part of it. But of course the side effect of that is then you're never actually accomplishing anything. So that fear can cost you quite a lot. And I think what I learned when I started actually doing things, it's the same, it comes back to that same message of like qualifiers and, and kind of grooming you whatever project you do and you put it out there. So yes, it's going to be really, really important to you. And before you start, you want it to be as amazing as it could be. But what you learn going through the journey is, you know, that is a project that's then going to lead you on to the next project. So you never know what other idea you're going to get down the line and, what you're going to do down the line. And I think sometimes these projects, you know, these things that come to us and we want to do them, but we put them off or we don't do them. It's like, no, when it comes to you, you're supposed to do it because who knows what's going to come to you That's next. Right. And that process is getting you ready for that, for like what's mm-hmm. coming down the line. So I yeah, I, I definitely think like sitting on things for a very long time was something to overcome and just being okay with the fact, yeah, like you'll put it out there, And, you know, and I'm actually with this book that just came out. I'm actually super proud of this book. But like even, you know, past projects, things I've done, things in screenwriting, put it out there and wherever it is, that's okay because that's where you are right now as an artist and just keep going forward and just keep, you know, developing more projects and learning from each one you do.
1: I love that. Love it. Love it. So this is a question from our listener. As an aspiring writer, what advice would you give to going from the idea to a finished novel?
0: So this is probably going to sound like boring advice, but I am a big proponent of doing the outline just to help you make sense of that story fully in your mind. So I think a lot of times, like a lot of times people will ask, like, where do ideas come from and that kind of stuff? And you you may already have an idea asking that question. But I think what people really are asking a lot of times when they ask that question isn't so much about finding the idea. It's about how do I actually have an idea that becomes a full-fledged story? And that's if you're hoping to write a novel and you have kind of an idea, but you're not totally sure what the whole story is, that's sort of the step that's going to let you feel confident that like, yes, I have a whole story that I can go through. And that's, and when I say outline, I don't mean that you have to have every single thing figured out. I had an outline for my book, but there was a lot of room for me to add things as I went and things developed as I went. Things definitely came out of my character that I didn't expect. Mm. So you don't have to think that it's like a crazy, rigid thing that you need, but just sitting, get familiar with just sort of how stories are structured and just just play around with it. Like, okay, what would I put at this part? If I'm using a three act structure, like what would I kind of put at this part of that story? play around with the different possibilities. And then again, you're kind of letting yourself gain the confidence that, yeah, I know, I know now kind of what the different steps could be. And I know that I could write this whole thing. Amazing. That was really good.
1: And again, it seems really basic, but Hey, it works An outline guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I also like how you shared the piece about the three act structure, because When you say an outline again, and maybe like, well, what do I put in the beginning and what do I put at the end? and And maybe breaking it up into smaller parts where let me just work on the outline that's going to take care of the first act and then doing your research and saying, well, what is usually a part of the first act and then go to the second act. So even like breaking it into smaller pieces, I think is helpful as well. So thanks for sharing that. So this was really good. I mean, I may have to bring you back just to talk about writing books or screenplays or, you know, we have so many creatives that are listening to our show, so many creative entrepreneurs and writers and and individuals that have an idea but have not taken that first step yet. So love, love everything that you shared today, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us. And could you just share the title of your newest book and a quick blurb on what it is?
0: Oh, yes. All right. So this is a total through fear into empowerment book. <laughs> this yes. is like totally on point for that. So this book is Wolves at Night. So it's set in the Alaskan wilderness. So many years ago, I got to go to Alaska and live there for the summer while working on a writing job. Actually, I got hired to write a script. So that inspired it partially. But remote Alaskan wilderness, a mother with her two-year-old toddler goes to this off-the-grid cabin, basically to reunite with her son's father. So he's actually never met his father. The father has been on the run from the law for the past two years. So since she was pregnant, he's wanted for murder. So there's a bit of a murder mystery. And she goes and she's really, she's hoping a couple things. She's kind of been saying she believes in his innocence. So she's really hoping that that she is correct. She's hoping to see this person she had a child with is, you know, who she believed he was. Mm -hmm. Also just, she's very isolated in her life. So she's hoping also to go and just feel loved and feel some Mm. validation. But it's a super dangerous situation. So it is Alaskan wilderness. So there's wolves, there's wild animals to contend with. There are very bad guys in this book so there's some terrible criminals that show up actually looking for the father of her son um but instead find her there with a two-year-old about as vulnerable as could be and then mm-hmm. and then of course when he actually does show up it's he's not quite who she had hoped or expected so there's definitely themes dealing with dynamics and abusive relationships and. But really at the heart of it, this is very much an empowerment story about needing to reclaim personal power to literally survive in this story.
1: (laughs) Mm, I love it. Wow. And for those that want to follow you, get your book, stay in touch, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: So I'm on Facebook. So I believe it's facebook.com slash onescarywoman is my <laughs> name. I'm there. I'm on uh, Instagram just as Sarah McDermott Jen. And then you can also sign up for a newsletter at just Sarah Oh,
1: okay. So um, I pronounced it Jane. So it's actually Jen, J-A-I-N, but pronounced.
0: Jen. Yeah, Jen. But you know, what? like pretty much everyone says Jane. So it's, <laughs> it's it.
1: okay. Okay. Yeah. So Sarah McDermott, and that's J-A-I-N, guys, on LinkedIn. So awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. This was great. And then, uh, like I said, I might have you back. Don't be surprised.
0: (laughs) Um, I just love this. Thank you so much just for doing this podcast. And, oh, I just love your energy. And I love the whole space you've created here and (laughs) all the discussions. Thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to also thank our listeners for joining us for another episode of unleash your supernova your guide to creativity manifestation and mindfulness where we show you how to tap into and become the brightest version of yourself and if you have not yet subscribed please click that button now so you do not miss another future episode of unleash your supernova and if you loved what you heard today please share with a friend if you feel the information can help them in any way, please pass it along. And if you aren't holding a physical copy of Unleash Your Supernova, or at the very least, have it on Kindle or the ebook, you definitely need to go out and get it today. You will learn how to increase your creativity and beat burnout on this crazy roller coaster of creative entrepreneurship. So until next time, guys, this is your host, Nova Lorraine. Ciao.